Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for you are our Abba Father and you are the Alpha and Omega of our salvation. You not only accepted us by justifying righteousness of your Son, but also accept, adopted us with the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. We can thank you enough for making us the core heirs of Christ and the climax of your love. It is truly our prayer and desire to be sanctified and redeemed in our minds and bodies. Help us to receive your words with gratitude this morning and respond to your promise with a joyful obedience. In the overwhelming name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Finally, we come to the conclusion of Romans 8 this Friday. As I said before, many New Testament scholars and Pauline experts assert that Romans 8 is a masterpiece of the masterpieces. If a Romans is the masterpiece of a Paul's theology, Romans 8 is the main chapter of that masterpiece. In this chapter, Paul starts with a relief and joy that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And much more, God sent the Holy Spirit to indwell in us, to modify the desires of the flesh. God adopted us to be his children and co-heirs of Christ. Yesterday, we saw the cosmic and complete vision of our redemption as a perfection of God's entire creation. Today, in the conclusion of this majestic chapter, we will see Paul's exuberant Declaration, declaration of a gospel love for us. Here, Paul expresses his confidence in God's grace in Christ in the form of rhetorical questions. So, as I read the Romans 8, 31 to 39, listen carefully and count how many questions and what kind of questions he shouts. Let's read. Romans 8.31 What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up him for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justified. And those then, and the who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation, all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. So how many questions did you hear in this conclusion? They are altogether seven questions, but in essence, they are all similar. And Paul asked five interrelated, interrelated questions. So first one, verse 31, who can be against us? Verse 32, how will then God will not give graciously uh, us all other things with Christ? And verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? And verse 35, who shall or what can separate us from the love of Christ? Let's look at these questions and Paul's answers. First rhetorical question starts with a central, central statement of a Christian faith. That is, God is for us. God is not against us. God is not against the sinners. God loves sinners and treats the sinners like treasures. In fancy Latin word, it is called God for us, God is for us, is a Deus pro nobis. And this phrase, Deus, God pro nobis, God for us, is one of Karl Barth's favorite terms. Barth says, Christ is a God's eternal yes to humanity. Christ is a God's eternal yes to humanity. God might say no to some of our prayers, but God said ultimate yes through Christ to all of us. God's yes in Christ must and can help us overcome all the no's in life and the disappointment in the world. Apostle Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against, against us? The better translation would be, since God is for us, who can be against us? This is not a typical conditional clause, but what New Testament Koine Greek scholars call it, first-class conditional clause, where there is a no uncertainty. You know, typical conditional clause is sort of uncertainty, if, you know, I wore something else. But there is no uncertainty. So some New Testament scholars call this not a conditional clause, but actually causal clause. Something foundational, something, something so certain causes this kind of a thinking or a consequent you know, result, resultant you know, thought. So it means, since Almighty God is for us, who can be against us? Or why are we afraid of any opposition at all? The second question is similar. If or since God did not spare his own son, how will he not also give us all things along with him? Here, Paul goes a typical you know, logic of a greater to the lesser. If God gave the greatest thing, wouldn't he give uh, other smaller things? Nothing is more precious to father than his own child. I can't imagine I give up my child for somebody else. And God gave his only son for redemption and glorification. So why do we worry about other needs? The God who gave us the greatest resource will continue to meet all our needs. This question confirms why Bible tells us worrying is a sin because a God is a more than gracious to us. God will supply all our need 
because he already sent his son, Jesus Christ, as our sacrifice. Third question, who will bring any charge? It is because it is God who justifies us. Since God justifies us in Christ, why should we feel guilty or unforgiven over things that Christ already uh, obtained the forgiveness of God? And by the way, I believe this is what James talked about the confessing sins to one another in the James chapter 5. We confess our sins to each other, not to God. Why? Although God already forgave us, we need that affirmation of a divine forgiveness through confession to brothers and sisters and their confirmation for our healing. James said, when we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, God will heal us. You know, this is why house church sharing is so important. And when it comes to house church sharing, please treat that a time and space as a holy, sacred space. You are in the presence of God through the other brothers and sisters. You know, this. I hope that everyone be really honest and thoughtful and intentional and even daring. It reveals that deepens God's grace to us. This is how we become a priest of God and intercessors for one another. Fourth question, who is he that condemns us? Paul repeats the question, for he, knew, he knows how persistent Saint, Satan falsely accuses us with a dragging guilt. He, Paul answers that since Christ who lived a perfect sinless life and died atoning death for us, is now alive and interceding for us, we should not feel any guilt or unforgiven. The fifth question, fifth question, who and what can separate us from God? This is the last question because all other questions are really other versions of this question. The only thing that we should really have to fear that would really harm us is to be separated from love of Christ. Don't we all feel doomed and dead? when we don't see God's love, when we really separated from God's love in Christ. And then Paul quotes a Psalm 44:22 as an answer to the fifth question. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We, considered, we are considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. Paul is talking about Israel's experience. Although Israel, the people of God before Christians, experienced constant estrangement and exiles throughout their history. Guess what happened? They did not disappear like other countries and other people. God still kept them. Once again, let me remind you about Dr. Gilam Charles' critical observation last Sunday, that while most stories I mean, all his stories almost were written by winners. Bible, especially Old Testament, was written by losers like an Israelite. Why? Because the God of Israel was so faithful to his people and nothing could separate them from their God and his 
covenantal faithfulness. The continuing existence of Israel is a more than anomaly, you know, anomaly, you know, in history or exception in history. It is a mystery of a divine sovereignty and grace. Now, finally, in verse 37, Paul makes a remarkable declaration about our security in Christ. He said, In all things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Why did Apostle Paul compare us to the conquerors? Listen to me carefully. Uh, conquerors were the most important people in Rome. And Paul was writing this letter to people in the Rome. Romans, the citizens of Rome, adored and idolized conquerors more than anyone. Just like, you know, we respect, even in a modern time, that any wartime president with a double, triple respect. Rome's economy was based on conquering or expanding and securing territory. Did you know that Roman citizens did not pay taxes? And uh, at least one-third of the Roman population were slaves, so who obviously they didn't pay tax. They're paying actually tax with the whole life. Romans collected taxes from everyone else, especially from their colonies. The more colonies they had, the better Rome's economy became. This is why any major general who conquered a foreign land or secured his colonies by winning in the key battles became an emperor later. Thus, when Apostle Paul said, we are more than conquerors, he was telling us Christians are more important than most important people of the world. Let me repeat that. We are more important than most important people of the world. Because through Christ who loved us, we become more significant and precious to God than any movers and shakers of the world. Finally, Paul ends his conclusion personally. He no longer say we, but he say I. All theology is a doxological and personal. So let's read verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height or death, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul and his richest and glorious declaration of God's undying love and inexhaustible and inseparable grace with a doxology. I pray that we remember this declaration. And just like Paul, we also shout, If God is for me, who can be against me? Or since God is for me, who can be against me? Let's pray this doxology frequently throughout the week and hopefully even every day. Say it together, If God is, since God is for me, who can be against me? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for this incredible love, infinite grace, 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Just like Paul, each one of us, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, receive our adoration. Along with it, help us to surrender and surrender our obedience and faithfulness every single moment of our every existence of our life. Help us to be holy full for the most wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's praise God.